Please join me as we worship the Lord through our Hebrew prayers. We shall start with the Baruchu. Bless the Lord, the Blessed One. Blessed is the Lord, the Blessed One, for all eternity. Baruchu et Adonai HaMevorach. Baruch Adonai HaMevorach. Le'olam Ba'ed. And the blessing of Messiah, where we give thanks unto Adonai for saving us through Messiah Yeshua, the only name by which we are saved. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu ederecha Yeshua, Bemashiach Yeshua. Amen. In the Vesharu, which gives us the scriptural basis for us gathering here on this Shabbat. And I truly pray as we go through this prayer that you let 
your work week, let the worries just fall off your shoulders this day. And lift up holy hands and worship the Lord our God. We can enter into His rest. Amen? So please join me. The children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat, observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. claim the Shema, and we do so by facing the east. We have placed the Israeli flag to indicate the direction of east. I will now give you a moment to quiet yourselves. The Shema truly means to listen, to obey, and to reflect on the oneness of our God. And let us always remember, as Yeshua has said, that he and the Father are one, that they are united. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Chavod The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom for all eternity. Amen. <laughs> Advarim ha'ele, asher anuchi, metzachach ha'yom, al levavecha, veshinatam levanecha, 
ודיברתם בם, בשבתך בבתיך, ולכתך בדרך, ושכבך, וביקומך, ושרתם לאות על ידיך, והיו לתותפות בעניך, ופתתם ומזוזות ביתך, ובשעריך. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you retire, and when you arise. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. And let them be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. Yeshua was once asked, what is, what is the greatest commandment that the Lord our God has given us? And he replied with the Shema and the Vehavta. He replied with the Shema to truly emphasize the fact that we are to have a one-on-one relationship with the Lord our God, loving Him with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, and strengths, trusting in Him no matter what happens in our lives, and knowing that He loves us. He loves us so incredibly much. You are never too far gone. Please know that. And we're to take that love that He shows us and give it to our neighbors, represent the light that Yeshua has given us, that the Lord our God commands us to love our neighbor and be there for them in their darkest moments. Amen? So I encourage you this day to truly follow the Shema and the Behafta. So please join me. Ve'ahavta l'orecha kamocha. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You now please join me for the vote. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God, the most high God, who bestows grace and creates all and remembers the kindnesses of the fathers, and brings a Redeemer to their children's children, for His name's sake, with love. O King, Helper, Savior, and Shield, blessed are you, O Lord, Shield of Abraham. Again, Abraham. 
and the Givorah. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You raise the dead. You're mighty to save. You sustain the living with grace. Resurrect the dead with abundant mercy. Uphold the falling. Heal the sick. Set free those in bondage. And keep faith with those that sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of mighty deeds? And who can compare to you, king, who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout? And you are faithful to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resurrects the dead. Atagibor leolam Adonai Mechaye metim atav rav lemoshia Mechaye haim bechesed Mechaye metim rarakamim rabi so mev no blim vero fecolim umatir asurim umkayen imunato lishane apa mihamo kabageburot umido mela. Please join, join me as we prepare to bring the Torah out from the ark and begin our Torah service. If you'll now please join me for the Ankhamoch. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, and there is nothing like your works. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion is throughout all generations. The Lord reigns. The Lord has reigned. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord will give strength unto His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace.
This is our custom. We celebrate the written word of God, knowing that it is a representation of the living word, Yeshua, dwelling among us. As the Torah passes by, we invite you to come out to the aisle by placing a tallit corner, siddur, Bible, or even your hand on the cover of the Torah, and then kissing that which we use to touch the Torah to our lips. For the word of the Lord is honey unto our lips and healing to our very bones. Also, feel free to join the children parading behind the Torah to celebrate God's living word written in the scroll, but also in the Messiah, Yeshua. If you don't follow it with your feet, we ask that you would please follow it with your eyes. So come out now to the aisle and greet the Torah. When the ark would travel, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let them that hate you flee from you. For from Zion will go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in his holiness gave the Torah to his people Yisrael. Take 
You may be seated. I'm not really that excited about the Word of God, too. I just don't scream. That was awesome. <laughs> Quick, uh, just some things I saw this morning when I was going over the Torah portion. I'd like to bring up before I call the readers the fact that Israel, while being led by the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, still panicked when the Egyptians came upon them and, demand, and told Moses, did you just bring us out to the desert to die where there are not enough graves in Egypt for us? So sometimes we can literally be going through this amazing experience with the Lord our God, and then when trouble comes to us in the midst of that experience, we can still say, Lord, where are you? Where are you? When we're literally staring at him face to face. So we always need to remember that he is guiding us, he is leading us, no matter what we're going through, whether or not they are good times or they're bad times. He's with us. He's for us, not against us. Always remember that. I will now call it the reader. Tamod Deborah Bad Herschel, La Torah. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Ruki Adonai Natan, Lachem Hashabat Al Kain Hu Notain Lachem, Bayom Hashishi, Lachem Yom Yayim, Shavu Ish, Techatav Al Yitze Ish. Mim Komo, Bayom Hashvi'i. See, the Lord has given you the Shabbat. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. 
Remain each of you in your place. Let no one go out on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. What was fascinating to me about picking this verse of scripture, these verses, was I wrote Rabbi Yuri in the middle of the night and said, would you please tell me where the Lord ever commanded the Israelites to keep the Shabbat? And he referred me to Genesis 2, 2 and 3, where God said on the seventh day, after he had finished the creation of the world, he rested. And he rested thereon from all his work which he had created and made. We all are very familiar with um, Exodus 20, 8 to 10, where the Lord gave us the fifth commandment, which was, remember the Shabbat day and keep it holy. Six days ye shall labor and do all work, but on the seventh day is the Shabbat to the Lord your God. I then went on and found two other places where the Lord mentions Shabbat. In Genesis 31, 12 and 14, Adonai says to Moshe again, Tell the people of Israel, you are to observe my Shabbats, for this is the sign between me and you through all your generations, so that you know that I am Adonai, who sets you apart for me, for the Lord chose us to bless us. Therefore, you are to keep my Shabbat, because it's set apart for you. And finally, in Ezekiel 20:12, the Lord said, I gave them my Shabbats as a sign between me and them, so that they would know that I, Adonai, am the one who makes them holy. Amen. Please rise for the presenting of the Torah. Ah! 
this is the Torah that Moses placed before the children of Israel at the command of the Lord through Moses' hands. Please remain standing as we close the Torah. Please join me through this. Chaim, who shall first start with the English. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. It's Chaim. Please join me in thanking our wonderful readers. And now we shall continue our worship with the worship team.
Lord, we give you thanks for your salvation. We give you thanks that you continue to deliver us, Lord. Thank you for your deliverance.
Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. It's so great to see you all, and we now have the opportunity to participate in Sayyidat HaMashiach, the meal of Messiah. And thinking about the worship team, thank you all. Um, we were singing about being hungry and being thirsty, and I am hungry and thirsty to be able to participate in the meal of Messiah, which is an extension of the Pesach meal, the Passover meal, that Yeshua shared with his disciples. So before we participate, I have some words to share, and I'll just say a brief prayer. Lord, please be with all of us, and please be with me, that my words may be honoring to you. In Yeshua's name, amen. So, in thinking about Sayyidat HaMashiach, I've been meditating on when this comes up and the themes in the Brit HaKadoshah scriptures regarding the meal. And last time I shared some words about uh, gluttony and not looking out for those around you and just consuming whatever you had it in your heart's desire to eat or consume. And today I want to share about forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness and having forgiveness reign in our hearts is key to Sayyidat HaMashiach. So, a couple of verses to share with you all. So, um, something that I really appreciated that uh, Mark, um, Maggie's dad, said when he, uh, when he shared with us a few weeks back is that he loves to read scripture because if he, um, if he does that, essentially if he's reading a lot of scripture when he's speaking, he's not going to uh, mess up. So a lot of what we're going to be doing today is reading scripture, so I hope you all love the Bible. So uh, We're going to be reading in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and then the next primary uh, section we're going to be reading in Job. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. And this is Yeshua speaking. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be subject to the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be subject to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you are presenting yourself an offering on the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So by remembering the meal of Messiah, by remembering uh, what Yeshua did for us and his suffering, we are presenting ourselves and we're saying, Lord, we want to follow you. We are interacting with his altar in a way of speaking and we are presenting ourselves as a gift. So the meal of Messiah is tied to this passage among many other things that this passage could apply to. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says this, If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. And I know that these are heavy words for all of us, but again, we think about how we want to be pure before God and confess our sins. 
as a part of Sayyidat HaMashiach, so forgiveness will reign in our hearts as a part of this practice. I was introduced to something recently in uh, the book of Job regarding forgiveness, and that's what I want to focus on as a large large part of this discussion today. And if you're like me, you might say, Job? There's not a lot in Job about forgiveness. I think there is. (laughs) And I do want to share uh, all of that with you all today. So, to summarize uh, very quickly the story of Job. Um, Job was a righteous man before God, and God allowed him to be tested by Hasatan, by taking away his wealth, taking away his health, and taking away all of his children in a horrible accident. And he was left in a terrible state after this, and essentially his friends come to comfort him, things do not go well, and then the Lord has to intervene and say who he truly is, and Job repents and is blessed by the Lord afterwards, after he Uh, does repent. So we'll go through all of that, but that's a brief summary. All right, Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When Job's three friends heard about all this calamity that had come upon him, each of them came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shumite, and Zophar the Methanite. They met together to come and mourn with him and comfort him. But when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and threw dust into the air onto their heads. Then they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him because they saw his great, the great pain that he was in. So this starts off really well. His friends are very empathetic to his plight, and to the horrible things that have happened to him. And they're mourning with him, and they are standing with him in this horrible tragedy. But then they start to talk. (laughs) Chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Behold, and this is um, Eliphaz speaking to Job, one of his friends. Behold, you have instructed many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your words have supported those stumbling and strengthened buckling knees. Yet now it has come to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Is it not your piety and confidence, the integrity of your ways, your hope? So essentially he's saying, hey, other people have sinned and been in this terrible situation that, that you are in now? Like, why don't, why don't you just admit that you've done something wrong to cause all of this calamity to come upon you? Continuing in chapter 8, this is Bildad speaking to Job. This is verses 1 through 6. Then Bildad the Shumite answered and said, How long will you say these things, speaking to Job, because Job is defending himself? The words of your mouth are like a mighty wind. 
And there are other translations that will say a confusing wind or essentially just nonsense. Does God pervert justice? Does Shaddai pervert justice? If your children sinned against him, he handed them over to their rebellion. So depending on what translation you read of verse 4, he says, if your children sinned, and there are other translations that said, well, your children sinned, so they deserve to die. Good friend. If you would seek God and plead with Shaddai, if you are pure and upright, even now he will awaken for you and restore your righteous abode. So continuing in verse 13, when Job responds, chapter 13, verses 2 through 5, Job is speaking, what you know, I know, I am not inferior to you, still I desire to speak to Shaddai and to argue my case with God. You, however, smear me with lies and you are worthless doctors. All of you, uh, Stern's translation actually says uh, witch doctors there. If only you would keep silent, for you, that would be wisdom. Job continues on in verse 15, or chapter 15, 1 through 6. And I want to read through all of this because I don't want to come across like I'm cherry-picking verses that this really is a theme of this book. 16 verses 1 through 4. Job answered saying, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Is there no end to your futile word? What compels you to answer? I too could speak like you if you were in my place. I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, Bildad responds. Then Bildad the Shumite replied, saying, How long until you end these words? Consider, and then we will talk. Why are, are we regarded as beasts and stupid in your eyes? So, things are getting pretty testy between Job and his friends. And this is key uh, what I'm going to be reading next in Job chapter 19, verses 13 through 19. Job saying, The Lord, he, removed my brothers far from me. My acquaintances are only strangers to me. My relatives have gone away. My close friends have forgotten me. My house guests and my maidservants consider me a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he doesn't reply. Though I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is repulsive to my wife. I am loathsome to my children. Even young children despise me when I stand. They speak against me. All of my close friends despise me. Those who love have turned against me. This is a dark place that... That he's in. I mean, everybody has abandoned him. I wrote it down. Brothers, kinfolk, close friends, servants, wife, family, children mock him. All those who he loved have abandoned him. But Job is about to receive the greatest gift from the Lord. 
Job chapter 20, 42, starting in verse 1. Job answered Adonai and said, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke without understanding. These things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You said, here now, I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. I have heard of you by hearing of the ear. But now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent on dust and ashes. So he had heard many things about the Lord. And him and his friends, they're having this argument back and forth about why he's in this particular state. And Job is more right than his friends. But essentially, the Lord truly reveals himself to you, to them, and says, your friends may be here. And Job, you're, you're right here. You're a little bit about your friends. But I'm so far up that that's what it's really all about. Continuing in uh, verse 7. After Adonai had spoken these words to Job, Adonai said to Elphaz the Temanite, My anger is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken about me what is right, like my servant Job has. So now take for yourselves seven young bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept Job's prayer and not deal with you accordingly to your folly, because you have not spoken correctly about me my like my servant Job has. So Job was qualified to pray for his friends because he received humility from the Lord. There's a quote that I heard recently, and I'll change some of the words uh, a little bit, but essentially it goes like this, that pride made Hasatan into a devil. What can humility do for us? In this passage, I believe that the, the sacrifices are for sin. Um, the, the other time sacrifices are mentioned in Job is when he's offering a sacrifice for his, kid, for his children to, to cover their sins. Continuing on, so Ulphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shumite, and Zophar the Nathamite went and did what Adonai told them, and Adonai accepted Job's prayer. Now this is key, verse 10. So Adonai restored what Job had lost after he had prayed for his friends. Adonai doubled everything that Job had had before. Some translations flip the sentence and say, When Job had prayed for his friends, he received his fortunes back twofold. Continuing on, verse 11. Then all Job's brothers, all his sisters, and everyone who had known him before came to him and ate bread with him in his house. They counseled him 
and comforted him for all the calamity that Adonai had brought upon him. Each of them gave a piece of money and a gold ring to Job. So Job was restored to all the people that he cared about. Thinking about how Job is typically read and preached is that, hey, at the end of it all, Job got twice as many animals back. And he got his wealth back. He got his health back. He's living the American dream. (laughs) But what I think meant the most to Job was that he was reconciled with all the people that had abandoned him. That Job realized that he could hold on to his rightness in the situation, but at the end of the day, he really just needed to pray for his friends and accept humility in his heart because many of us religious, righteous people, we have fallen to the trap of saying, hey, these are the list of rules and I am checking off all the boxes. Like, look at me. But We want to follow the rules, but it's about a relationship with him and having humility. And I believe that this is truly tied to forgiveness and that uh, forgiveness is not about saying that an injustice is okay. It's about letting go and letting God work in the situation and not wanting to hold on to the hurt and ultimately giving it up to God. With that said, at this time I want to invite Shirley and Bill and John and Rand up to assist with Sayadat HaMashiach. To participate in Sayadat HaMashiach, we would ask that you believe that Yeshua is Adonai, that he died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and he is coming to establish his kingdom on this earth. And if you are not in that place right now, that is okay. And we are so glad that you are with us today. And I hope that these words about forgiveness and humility mean a lot to you. So we can all come down to the center aisles right here and receive the bread and body of our Lord.
he was betrayed, took matzah, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in memory of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Yeshua, you shared bread with those who would have, you knew would abandon you in your darkest time of need, and forgiving them was not even a question. Let us eat. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam Borei pri agathen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. I dwell upon the words of Psalm 23, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, you said that you would drink this cup again when you were in your kingdom, and we look forward to that day where we can do that with you. Let us drink.
Um, before we pray for loved ones that are battling illnesses, just want a quick announcement. Since we have the use of the building now throughout the whole Saturday, so we invite you to join us. There will be few of us that will be staying here over, and later on we'll have worship and end the Shabbat with a half dollar. If you want to come back, um, if you want to bring food for fellowship, we can talk about the portion today. And next week, we're going to have a Q&A with Rabbi Yuri. So bring all your questions for next week. And then we're going to do that one every first Saturday of the month. We're going to have a Havdalah and a Q&A with Rabbi Yuri. And if you want to join us, we're going to stay here until that one this afternoon. We, we want to do it like around 4 o'clock. So by 6 o'clock, you can go home again. So whoever is able, we invite you. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you for this opening, Lord God, for us to have more fellowship with one another above all worship you, Lord God, through our fellowship. And we want to lift up those that are still uh, battling illnesses, Lord God, like Elmer here, uh, Elmer Hill, uh, Becky's dad, um, Virginia, Elizabeth's sister, uh, Jeanette's uh, father who was brought to the hospital too, and both Virginia also. And thank you for the miracle of Elmer Parrish, how you sustained him with the treatment that he had. Thank you so much. And for, for all the others, I don't have the time to mention each one of them, but you know them by name. And from the Torah portion, we thank you, Lord, because you are our strength in our salvation. And we thank you also for the salvation of your people, Israel. Be with them. Help the security forces protect them from terrorist attacks and from all the threats that are around them. Thank you because you promise you will bring near your righteousness to them because it's not far off and your salvation will no longer be delayed in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, in case any of you have two microphones. So again, Shabbat Shalom. Beautiful morning to worship the Lord. Brenda, we're so happy to see you back. So wonderful time, wonderful. So let us, um, I need to, to do a few announcements before. I'm already forget about what I need to do. So we have, first of all, Anek. After the service, we'll have Anek. And the next Shabbat Q&A, please. Be careful with your questions. <laughs> I'm joking. So you can have all the questions you want and it's answer up to me what I want to answer. <laughs> Specifically about Messianic Judaism, about this uh, time we spent together uh, learning about Messianic Judaism. Also, uh, please sign up for our ONEC. You are welcome to sign up and bring food. Thank you so much for doing that. You are the blessing for us. Also, uh, prayer meeting, we start at 5 here. We pray uh, intercession prayer for, for our congregation. And then at 6, we are learning about spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it is a wonderful thing to do. Amen. It is a beautiful time. So, uh, and also Purim. Purim 2023. Can you imagine? So, if you don't have any talents, please sign up with K. Kate is there. Kate, can you stand up, please? We need to see you. So, and again, if you don't have any gifts, please sign up. Yeah, so. Less gifts, more fun, 
it's right. pouring time. So uh, you can uh, have it after the service. This is a small uh, announcement. You can find it. Everything is there. Okay, so today we will continue with our message. And uh, today is the third part about Messianic Judaism. So for you who are the first time today, probably it would be something, you know, what is talking about Messianic Judaism, part three. So you can find the part one and part two on YouTube and uh, look at it, watch it, and, and remember things from there. So let us pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I have a question. Q&A. First Q&A for today. Uh, who was here last Shabbat? And previous one. Have you taken anything for yourself from this teaching about Messianic Judaism? Who slept through all the time? <laughs> I know, it is uh, part one, part two, part three. Usually we do Torah portions, but now it's kind of time. So the next Shabbat we will talk about uh, prophecies, about coming Messiah and about his, his work on this earth. Today I want to continue to speak about who we are as Messianic believers in the Jewish world. I will address the two most essential points that makes us Messianic believers and set us apart from the rest of the Jewish religious world. Also, I want to remind you that it is my perspective, it's my perspective. And I am sure that there is more than one perspective of, on Messianic Judaism. More than one. So last week, we talked about a few major movements in Judaism during Yeshua's time. Josephus, a Jewish writer, states that there were few main Jewish sects at the time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Four. So let us look at what happened after the great tragedy of the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. So, you remember we talked about Sadducees last time. We spent a long time talking about them. So, the Sadducees, the priests and the Levites, have lost their political and spiritual authority in Israel because their theology was built mainly on the temple system, temple sacrifices. So, when the temple was destroyed, there were more, no more uh, uh, priests and Levites in the temple. It's obvious, very simple. And many of them became Messianic believers because they were aware of prophecies about the coming Messiah and could see their fulfillment in Yeshua. Many Sadducees, many Levites, many priests became believers in Yeshua the Messiah. After the destruction of the temple, the Sadducees appear only in a few references in the Talmud. So, the Roman Empire armies um, destroyed Zealots and Essenes. 
and also we know from the historical documents, many of them became Yeshua's followers because they accepted Yeshua as the Messiah because he was uh, the one who accomplished the prophecies. And after the destruction of the second temple, Pharisaic beliefs became the foundational, liturgical and ceremonial basis for rabbinical Judaism. So Pharisees became the main party in Israel at the time. So their religious doctrines were based on developing new rules, commandments and traditions. Pharisees began to develop and form doctrines and teachings in the small Israeli town of Yavne. It is a small town in Israel. With the help of Rome, Yohanan ben Zakkai, a leading Pharisee, was appointed the first patriarch, the Hebrew word Nasi, or prince. And he reestablished the Sanhedrin, the religious court, at Yavne, under the Pharisees' control. It is a history, you can find it in the book of uh, uh, Josephus, and it's very obvious there. So, and here's the next steps. Instead of offerings and sacrifices at the now destroyed temple, because temples were not anymore in Jerusalem, the rabbis in Yavne developed the replacement system of beliefs, because there was no uh, temple, no sacrifices, we should do something to keep Judaism going on. Their doctrines were focused on the uh, preservation of Jewish identity. And this is why the modern Judaism or rabbinical Judaism is not biblical in the sense of uh, Torah, because there is no temple, there is no sacrifice. And sacrifices were the main part of the biblical Judaism. So I want to share a few main focuses of their development. So first, first was how to save the Jewish identity without the temple. And it was a huge task because all Jewish life was built around the temple. Everything in the temple. If you read Torah, everything was about the sacrifice in the temple. Now, here's the task. How to preserve Judaism without the temple. And again, uh, I would like to say, tell you that it is my impression about these things, and there's more than one opinion about these things. Sure. And if you're not interested, you can sleep, go sleep. Quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quietly. Don't need to, to be loud. <laughs> so, what happened there? So Pharisees came up with the idea to replace the sacrifices in the temple by keeping the rules and commandments, developing traditions and sacred knowledge. They established oral Torah because of that, of this task. How to preserve Judaism without the temple. So we need to come up with something else instead of temple. So I want to give a few examples from the teachings of modern or rabbinical Judaism. For example, the correct and attentive reading and pronunciation of prayers from the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, is considered 
equal to animal sacrifices in the temple. When you read it, uh, when you read in it uh, prayers and immersed in that, it's considered to be as you bring the sacrifice in the temple. This is one of the reasons why there is a tradition of bobbing during the recitation of the certain prayers. Doing like that. Because you're immersing in the prayers, which means you are bringing sacrifices in the temple. It's not as innocent as it looks at the first glance. Yeah? It has very deep roots of replacement theory. More evidence of unbiblical tradition is some of the branches of Judaism is the rooster sacrifice on Yom Kippur. Who knows about it? Yeah, I know about it. According to tradition, a religious Jew must cut off the head of a rooster and then wave the body of a rooster over his head, say a redemptive prayer while imagining a sacrifice in the temple. So, and there are many more examples of uh, substitute of the temple, which definitely doesn't work in the eyes of the Lord, as you mentioned. This is why rabbinical Judaism is not based on the Bible and not the Judaism of the times of Yeshua. It's different because of all these reasons. In order to simplify and avoid the rulings of the written Torah that spoke about the Messiah and the temple sacrifice, and much more, they developed a new set of laws and orders called Oral Torah, which consisted of the oral laws, interpretations, and traditions transmitted by God to Moses orally and then memorized and passed down by Moses and his successors over the generations. It's called Oral Torah. So the Lord gave secret knowledge to Moses. He didn't tell anyone. He kept it secret. He found one or two successors. He shared with them. Then they shared with somebody else. And after some year, they decided to write. I promise you, if you, you know this, small game. You say something from, from here and at the end it will be totally different. Even this part already a fun story. So they developed sacred teachings through oral Torah and later Kabbalah. It's sacred teaching. By the way, Sadducees and Essenes did not share a belief in the oral Torah at all. They didn't believe in the Oral Torah, which was practiced exclusively by the Pharisees. The second essential goal was the battle for the purity of the religion, the fight against heresies. This was the second goal of Yavne, rabbinical uh, school. So these two questions became a big part of rabbinical Judaism and Jewish Orthodox theology. As you can imagine, the biggest threat to Pharisees was the Messianic movement, because it was the most influential and rapidly growing movement in the Jewish world at that time. So after the Second Temple was destroyed, only one group of people in Judaism had the answer as to why it happened. Only one. 
Sadducees were destroyed because there are no temple. No Sadducees. Because Sadducees, they were priests and Levites. Essenes were destroyed because they were rebelled against Rome. Uh, Pharisees developed new system. After the temple system was destroyed, Messianic Jews had the answer. Yeshua, the Messiah, became the atoning sacrifice once and forever. <laughs> and he became the center of worship and the only way to salvation. And according to Talmud, if you uh, know the history about that, uh, after Yeshua's death, the Lord stopped accepting Yom Kippur's service, uh, sacrifices. Because Yeshua, He is our Yom Kippur. Yes. And yes. He is our Passover. Yes. So, again, again, I want to mention the uniqueness of Messianic Judaism. Messianic Judaism is built on the foundation of trust in the Lord and personal relationships with Him, the living faith. So we believe in the living God who is present today with us. We believe in Yeshua, the Messiah, who is alive, who is risen. I can imagine these women came to his grave to cry there and there is no stone on the grave. And there is no body. And they're crying and the angel came and said, why are you crying? Girls. <laughs> women, why are you crying? He said, Somebody stole our Lord and Messiah. And you remember what he said. He is not there anymore. He is the reason. He is alive. He is present today. And he's with us actually. His presence is here. I can feel his presence. Right before the service we prayed uh, in the children's Shabbat school area. And we felt, I felt that anointing was very tender today. Very tender anointing. Love of the Lord. He's here. He loves you. He wants to hug you. He wants to accept you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be with you. He wants to heal you. It is His heart. So, Orthodox, or uh, let's say, uh, Rabbinical Judaism is built on the obser obser observance of traditions and sacred knowledge that substitute the temple sacrifices and faith. So, we keep our trust in the scriptures, Tanakh and Brita Hadashah, and from this point, everything added is heresy and sin. So, this is very important to remember. Joshua chapter 8, if you have your Bibles with you, Joshua chapter 8. What about oral Torah? I would like to read one place, and you can find much more, many more. I just want to read one place. Joshua chapter 8, verse 34 and verse 35. It is about sacred knowledge. Then afterward, he read all the words of the Torah. Let's say all the words of the Torah. So Joshua read all the words of the Torah. The blessing and the curse. So, which is a nice part of the Torah. <laughs> we love. And, 
the difficult parts of the Torah. We don't like sometimes. So he read everything. According to all that is written in the book of the Torah. Everything. Verse 35. There was not a word. I mean, I came from Ukraine. Can you help me to understand? What does it mean? There is not a word. A word? <laughs> Everything. Everything. Today we worship and we read from the Torah. This is, this is it. This is what the Lord gave to Moses. Nothing else. There, is one, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read, read before all the assembly of Israel. And I love this. Including the women and the little ones and the outsiders walking among them. There is no place or mention of an oral Torah or the sacred knowledge in this, of the scriptures. No oral Torah. The written Torah of Moses given by God to Moses. The entire Torah of God was received by Moses and passed to the assembly of Israel. So, historically, the Messianic movement is the oldest Jewish religious movement beginning long before uh, rabbinical school in Yavne. One of the most significant moments in the history was the birth of the first Messianic congregation in Jerusalem on the day on, of Shavuot, Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, let us read together. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, 1, 2. When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. And, which is a miracle, you know. Two Jews, three opinions, you know. Can you imagine 120 Jews? How many opinions is this? I mean, I'm not a mathematician, I don't know. I just, I give up. A lot of opinions there. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Yeshua Hanatsrati, Yeshua from Nazareth. A man uh, said it by God with mighty deeds and wonders and signs God performed through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Yeshua God raised up, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and receiving from the Father the promise of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, what you now see and hear, and verse 36. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him this Yeshua whom you had crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, made Shua, and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, So those 
who received his message were immersed. So that day about 3,000 souls were added. It was Jewish souls. It were Jewish souls in Jerusalem. One of the unique sides of the early Messianic movement was that it consisted, it consisted of all layers of society. People from many parties and classes uh, hostile to each other came to faith, left the principles and teachings that separated them and became part of the Messianic community from different backgrounds. They were united by faith in Yeshua on the basis of the Torah and the prophets. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. You have been built on the foundation made up of the emissaries and prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. Prophets and Torah, and Yeshua the cornerstone. One of more uh, very instructive passages from the New Testament, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you can open it with me, it would be great. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 and verse uh, 16. Uh, I'm sorry, 15 and 16. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. And that from childhood you have known the holy writings. Let us say together, holy writings. Very important to remember. That you are able to make your wise leading to salvation through trusting in Messiah Yeshua. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for restoration, and for training in righteousness. Wonderful place. In his letter to Timothy, who later became the leader of the growing Messianic community in Ephesus, Rabbi Shaul, Apostle Paul, commands Timothy to study the scriptures, the holy scriptures, holy writings. Today, almost all Christian, uh, Christians know this passage by heart. But few people think about what scriptures the Apostle Paul is talking about. When he wrote the letter to Timothy, the book of New Testament, in the form we know, we know it now, had not yet been completed. There were no New Testament at the time. Yeah, that's right. So the Holy Writings, the Holy Scriptures, it was Tanakh, Torah and Prophets. Remember that, please. From childhood, Timothy studied the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, many know as the Old Testament. And the Bible calls it at Holy Scriptures. Wow, what a wonderful revelation for many people. Many Jews became part of the Messianic movement and became bearers of the good news to all the peoples of the earth. And Acts chapter 21, verse 20. I love this place. It is one of the uh, profound places in the book of Acts. Acts 21, 20. And then, and when they heard, they began glorifying God. They said, you see, brother, how many myriads there are among the Jewish people who have believed. <laughs> and they are all zealous of the Torah. 
I love this. The original text says, tens of thousands of religious Jews from various branches of Judaism became believers in Yeshua the Messiah. Tens of thousands. Religious Jews from all kinds of branches of Judaism became believers in Yeshua the Messiah, which is Messianic Jews. And here's the very important part I would like to capture your attention. And um, again, very important to understand what I want to say here. They did not become followers of a new religion. There was not such religion as Christianity at the time. I mean official religions. So they became Messianic believers. Simply Jews who believed in Messiah. Simple. For the first time in history, believers in Antioch began to call themselves Christians. And it's Acts chapter 11. It says here, The disciples were first called Christianoi in Greek. Christianoi. Christianoi in Greek means followers of Christ in Greek. In Hebrew, followers of Messiah. So, let's take a closer look at who were the first disciples of Yeshua. So, Matthew chapter 4. He sold two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So, fishermen. The second, IRS. Yeah, IRS. It says Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. Matthew, the IRS collector. <laughs> Tax collector. <laughs> Have mercy. I love it. Have mercy on us, Lord, please. Amen. <laughs> Matthew 21, Yeshua said to them, Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going ahead of you into the kingdom of God. So, sinners, former prostitutes, <coughs> who were delivered by Yeshua's mercy, became his followers. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the Antioch community, there were prophets and teachers. Manan brought up since childhood with Herod, the Tetrarch. Wow! Manan grew up and was brought up together with King Herod. He grew together with King Herod. He became one of the teachers and prophets in the Antioch congregation. So the people of upper classes became followers of Messiah. This one is a funny one. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Follow me, please. Luke 8, 3. Jo Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's finance minister. Can you imagine? Herod's finance minister. So he's responsible for all, all finances in the king's Herod's uh, place. And his wife, it says here, and many others were supporting them out of their own resources. 
So wife of Herod's finance minister followed Yeshua and supported Yeshua in his ministry by Herod's finances, I think. I'm joking, but you know, so people who were in upper class followed Yeshua. Member of the Zealot party. You remember uh, Simon who were called Zealot? He followed Yeshua. Members of the Sadducee party. Sadducee party. Acts chapter 6 verse 7. And uh, I just want to mention a few more and we'll pray. Acts chapter 6 verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples in Jerusalem greatly multiplied. Let us say greatly multiplied. Uh, some historians say that uh, Jerusalem congregation was were about uh, 10,000 people. At that time, it was almost all Jerusalem. All Jerusalem became Messianic believers. Wow. So, greatly multiplied, even a great number of the Kahani priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Because they saw Yeshua as the accomplishment of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And they became Messianic believers. They were priests and believed in Yeshua the Messiah. Beautiful. Our people in the temple. It's good. good to have our people in the temple. Yeah? Sure. And the last one, John chapter 19, verse 38 and 39. After these things, when Yeshua was crucified, after his crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate if he could take Yeshua's body away. Joseph was a disciple of Yeshua, actually he was a Pharisee. But secretly, secretly, for fear of the Judean leaders. Pilate gave permission, so Joseph came and took the body away. In verse 39, Nicodemus, again, Pharisee, one of the leaders of Pharisee party, who had first visited Yeshua at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, aloes about a hundred pounds. So, Pharisees also followed Yeshua. So you see how different was the Messianic movement. People from all the classes, all the parties became believing in Yeshua. So today Messianic Judaism is a movement of congregations and synagogues, not just individuals. The word movement means a global change in society, especially among the body of Messiah. Today we see a miraculous fulfillment of the prophecies of the restoration of the Jewish people. And as the, as the Jewish Messianic community, we are called to fulfill God's most essential prophecies related to the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people. And next Shabbat, we will talk about uh, prophecies about Yeshua. And actually, we will see prophecies about us. You will be able to see yourself in the prophecies. It's a good thing. Wow. You will be able to put your name there and say, wow. Surely, I'm there. 
very flaw right here. You'll be able to do so. So I want to conclude with the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Torah and the scriptures. John chapter 3. If you can open with me, uh, Yohanan or John chapter 3, verses 16 through verse 18. This is the last place for today. For God, Father, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Yeshua, that whoever believes in him, whoever, Pharisees, Sadducees, people from other nations, it doesn't matter, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. The one who believes in him is not condemned. No more condemnation. But whoever does not believe has been condemned already. Not because some condemned, but sin. Because of the sin. Because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, Son of God, Yeshua the Messiah. Today you can have forgiveness and experience the love of God in your life. And remember, there is no temple in Jerusalem. There is no temple in Jerusalem. There is no more blood sacrifices. But Yeshua is our temple. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So let us stand together and I would like to invite uh, Reverend Ina, their Gretchen. Let us conclude our service with a prayer. As I speak these words over you, always remember that no matter what happens to you throughout the entire week, that he is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And one thing about his Shalom I have found as I have gotten older that despite the tribulations, despite the hardships, his Shalom always reminds us that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, just like we prayed earlier. His kingdom is not of this world. And we have a home with him forever. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen. Yes, Adonai, Adonai, Penavalecha, Vayasem Lecha, Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Mishpachas. And the last prayer for today, Baruch Atta Adonai, Eloheinu, Menachalam, Hamot Selechem, Mimharats. Amen. Amen. You are welcome to join us in our Benet. Shalom. Thank <laughs> you.